Um, our reading this morning is from the book of 2 Timothy, uh, chapter 4, starting at verse 6. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him, because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimus ill in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you, and so do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. This is God's word. Uh, for those who haven't met, my name's Nick. I'm one of the ministers here. Uh, let's pray as we begin, shall we? Father, thank you so much that um, uh, because of what the Lord Jesus has done for us, it really is possible to face the end of life with confidence and peace. And we pray now, Lord, that in this time, as we read Paul's kind of departing words here, that you'd be shaping us to be ready to face the end of our lives with confidence and peace because we know that we've done uh, the, the work that you've given us on earth to do. Amen. So um, these are the Apostle Paul's famous last words. This week I looked up uh, a few other examples of famous last words. Um, uh, Churchill, Winston Churchill, do you know his, his, his famous last words? Apparently his last words were, I'm so bored with it all, was what he said, nice and cheerful. Uh, Leonardo da Vinci, I was surprised by this one. Leonardo da Vinci's uh, supposedly final words, I have offended God and mankind because my work didn't reach the quality it should have. It's the man that painted the Mona Lisa <laughs> saying that. Or my favourite, I think, Oscar Wilde, uh, lying on his deathbed. He said, either those curtains go or I will. It seems like the curtains won. Um, but it is interesting to think, isn't it? It is interesting to, not perhaps not your last moments, but imagine the final stage of life. To imagine approaching your death and looking back over your life. What do you think you will need to say, yeah, I spent that well. 
And you imagine looking back over the decades, the highs and the lows, the different areas of life. What do you think you will need in that moment to be able to say, yes, I spent that well? It might sound like an, an abstract question, but I think it's actually really, really practical. It does affect your life now. As uh, Stephen Covey, business guru, says, you begin with the end in mind. Where you think you're going to get to affects your momentary decisions day by day. It will affect all sorts of things. It will affect the big decisions. Um, uh, you know, what we do with career, where we want to live, that sort of thing. It will affect relationships. It will affect what do I want my kids to see in me? What priorities do I want to model to them? What's the thing in my week that they, they, they never see me miss? It'll affect a thousand little momentary daily decisions, won't it? What do I think is a good use of an evening off? It'll affect all sorts of things. What do you think you need to look back at your life and think, yeah, yeah, I spent that well. So here in these verses, we, we, we've got the Apostle Paul doing that, approaching the end of his life. And you see how confident and how peaceful he is. Look at verse six with me. I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now there's in store for me the crown of righteousness. Wouldn't it be amazing to get to the end of your life and be able to say that? Wouldn't that be wonderful to look back at your life and be able to think, yeah. Yeah, I'm confident. I'm at peace because I've done what the Lord put me on this earth to do. Be great, wouldn't it? Now, this, the whole letter of uh, to Timothy, Paul's writing to his kind of ministry protege, Timothy, um, encouraging him to continue passing this gospel message on to others, uh, to kind of pick up the baton uh, and, and pass it on. And that baton's come down through the generations uh, to us. That, that same task of passing on the gospel message to those around us is the big task that the Lord gives uh, to Christians um, here in this life. It's the Great Commission being involved in the spread of this gospel. Now, we've seen that for Timothy, what's that going to look like? Well, last week we saw it's going to be preaching the word um, and training up others to be involved in that. Now, what we've seen as we've gone along there, that's not going to be exactly the same uh, for all of us, what it's going to look like to be involved in the spread of the gospel. It doesn't mean for everyone dropping what you're doing and becoming a preacher like Timothy. It's going to look like all sorts of things. Um, yeah, some of us I know are involved helping in the kids group, some of us helping in the DG groups uh, midweek, all sorts of different ways that we're, that we're serving. But in our own spheres of influence, whatever those are for you, whatever stage of life you're at, in our own spheres of influence, passing on this message to others, praying, looking for chances to pass on this message to others, to be involved in the spread of the gospel. As Paul is kind of handing that baton on to Timothy, he gives him a model and he gives us a model here, I think, to aim at for the end of life. Wouldn't it be wonderful again to reach that moment and be able to say with Paul, verse 7 and 8, I've done what God put me on this earth to do. So if I could put, summarize, I suppose, the message I think of this passage in a nutshell, I think it's this. If you want to be ready like Paul for death, then be involved in the spread of the gospel now, whatever that's going to look like for you. If you want to be ready like Paul for death, be involved in the spread of the gospel in your life 
now. Shape your life around that now. Three things that Paul's going to show us, uh, sort of tending towards that end. Three things. His eyes are on the prize in verses 6 to 8. He's active to the end, um, and his confidence is in Jesus. So that's where we're going, those three points. First of all then, uh, his, eyes, his eyes are on the prize. Let's read verses 6 to 8 again. You can't read these verses enough, can you? For I'm already being uh, poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. So he says in verse 6, I'm being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. Um, Paul, at this point, you may remember, he's in prison. It looks like he's awaiting imminent execution, quite possibly. Um, and it feels to him like his life is being poured out, like a drink tipped on the ground as an offering to God. It's, it's slipping away from him. The word there for my departure is near. That's the word, apparently, that you would use for loosing a boat's moorings. This life is, is slipping away. He's slipping into the next life. And verse 7 I've fought the the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Three kind of little pictures there. He's fought the good fight. I can't help thinking about Rocky. You know, the first Rocky, not the rubbish ones that came after, but the first Rocky. He didn't back, he's not backing out of this, this huge challenge. He's fighting the good fight. He has fought the good fight. He's run the race like a, like, a, like a marathon. He hasn't got distracted or given up. He's kept the faith. That word there is the word for guarded or preserved, this, this precious message that's been entrusted to him. He has done what he knows God put him on this earth to do. And so now, now verse 8, he's awaiting his prize. Look at verse 8 again. There is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Remember, he's in, he's in prison here, so he's, he's about to face an earthly judge who's likely to condemn him. But his eyes are on Jesus, the righteous judge, and that verdict. His eyes are on that, that, that reward, the crown of righteousness, like a, like a garland placed on a victorious athlete's head. His eyes are fixed on God's rewards in eternal life. That's the prize that he's waiting for. Um, And that's a crown that's not just for him. Do you look at the end of verse 8? It's not just for him, not just for apostles or super spiritual Christians. This is for all who have longed for his, that's Jesus appearing. That's a shorthand way of referring to all believers. So this is a crown that is uh, for each one of us if we're trusting in him. It's worth asking, I suppose, at that point, is, is that the crown that you and I are aiming for? Is that the crown that you've got your eyes fixed on? There's lots of crowns in this world, lots of crowns that people are competing for, and they're, they're, they look shiny, they're, they're, they look attractive. The successful career, the nice house, well-adjusted kids, and everyone around us is chasing them, and they're good things. They're good things in themselves, aren't they? But there's only one crown that lasts forever. There's only one crown which, if you fix your eyes on it, you face death with confidence and peace. I remember... Um, being at a funeral of a man who uh, was not a particularly impressive man. He never made much money. He didn't have a particularly impressive house. He never could afford to go 
um, on holiday abroad or whatever. But, but he had taken throughout his life, he'd always tried to take opportunities to share this message with other people, encouraging Christians, sharing with non-Christians. And so at his funeral, as we sat in that room, the room was packed with people that were overflowing with gratitude to this very ordinary man for conversations that he'd had pointing them to Jesus through the years. But there was one man in the room um, who was not feeling grateful. He was feeling deeply troubled. And this man uh, had been the European director of one of the country's biggest banks. So he'd been flying all over the world, earning millions, and he had taken early retirement many, many decades before, and essentially lived the dream. Retired to an enormous country house with a swimming pool and tennis courts and all that sort of thing. He, if you like, he, he had the crown, like a, like the well-adjusted kids, all of that. He, he had the crown that so many people around us are, are running for. But you know what he said as he sat there in this funeral and heard what was said and saw the people around him? He said, what have I ever done with my life? What have I ever done? As he was nearing the end of his life and looked back on the crown that he chased, he found himself think, feeling hollow. <laughs> what have I ever done? There's only one crown that lasts forever. There's only one crown that if you fix your eyes on it, you end this life with confidence and peace. And the great news for those of us here that we call ourselves Christians is that's the crown that's, that, that we're aiming for. We don't have to end life like that man at the funeral. We have this crown waiting for us. We can fix our eyes on this crown now and head towards death with confidence and peace. Is that the crown that we've got our eyes fixed on? Paul's eyes are fixed on the prize. Next then, uh, Paul is, is active to the end. Uh, have a look at verse 9 with me. Do your best to come to me quickly uh, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, because he's helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. Uh, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he's done. You two should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. And now we're going to come back to verse 16, but just shoot down to verse 19 with me. Greek Priscilla and Aquila in the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth and I left uh, Trophimus um, ill in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you and so do Prudence, Linus, Claudia and the brothers and sisters. The Lord be with your spirit, grace um, with you all. Um, it just looks like a big fat list of personal admin, doesn't it? And, it, and it, kind of, it kind of is. It's some really sweet personal touches. Did you notice in verse 9, he wants him to come quickly. In verse 13, he wants him to bring a cloak. And in verse uh, 21, he wants him to arrive before winter. You see the link there? He's cold and he wants his coat. Quite a touching personal detail there. It's a poor old man in prison who wants his coat. But in, in the rest of this kind of list of personal admin, I think there is a remarkable example that he's setting here to Paul and to, and to us. So, so for example, look, look down in verse 11. Why does he want Mark to be brought in verse 11? Because he's useful for ministry. Well, look at what else he wants brought for him as well as his cloak in verse 13. My scrolls and especially the parchments. Now, I don't think those are the latest John Grisham novels. I don't think those are Paul's leisure reading. Those words, scrolls and parchments, the words that would have been used for um, uh, uh, 
Old Testament translations in Greek scrolls, and parchments is the word you'd use for what you're writing on. I think the best guess here, as far as we can tell, Paul wants to be reading and writing to people. He wants to remain useful. And if anybody at this stage is in prison, he's done the work, if anybody deserved a bit of you know, me time to sort of focus on themselves and their own needs for a bit, it was Paul. But he's not doing that. His eyes are on the prize, and that, 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 that pushes him out. He wants to be useful. He wants to be useful here. And notice also how invested he is in people. So he cast your eyes over verses 10 to 12 and 19 to 21 again. He knows who's where, doesn't he? He's there. He stayed there. These people say hi. Say hi to them. Paul, he's not kind of drifting into a quiet, lonely retirement. He's deeply invested, just as he lived, invested in the Christian community, this team of people that are trying to spread the message. He's still investing in those people. His eyes not turning in on himself. But as he keeps his eyes on the prize, it's turning him outwards. It's the richest life, isn't it? The richest life is that that's spent serving others. Not focusing on my own needs, my own leisure. But the richest life is that spent serving others. Another little example of that, I think, in verse 14 and 15, when he warns Timothy about Alexander the metal worker. We don't know exactly who this guy was. He's not mentioned in the rest of the Bible. One, uh, one suggestion is that uh, he may have been the informer that dobbed uh, Paul in for his second arrest. And that may have happened in Troas. Timothy's probably traveling through Troas to get to Paul, and that might be why Paul's warning him. What we do know is that he's caused Paul great harm, and Paul's worried that he might do the same thing to Timothy. Paul cares. In this moment in prison, Paul is caring about Timothy. He's thinking about Timothy, not just himself, not just his own comfort. I found this um, just really striking that as Paul's work is over and he's approaching the end of his life, he's approaching his death, his eyes aren't turning in on himself. His eyes are, eyes are on the prize and he is still shaping his life around spreading this message to other people, shaping his life around spreading this message. I found that really thought-provoking. I got a letter about my pension the other day, which makes me feel extremely old. <laughs> But it's interesting, isn't it? When you think of retirement, what do you picture for yourself? You build now towards the moment of retirement. What is it that you're longing for? What is it that you're picturing for yourself? What kind of lifestyle when work's over and we're slowing down? What we see here in Paul is a life that remains shaped by trying to spread this gospel. It struck me, we had some family friends that... Um, that moved together to, 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 to live in the same retirement home. And the family went to visit them one time and uh, sitting outside in the courtyard with these two godly, lovely, godly old believers. And uh, at 10 a.m. Uh, came, came around and they stopped the conversation because what they did together every day at 10 a.m. was prayed. And had this lovely little time praying for the other people around them in the retirement home, praying for chances to serve them, chances to speak of Jesus to them. Um, and that's what they would do with the rest of the day. They would look for chances to serve and, and, and speak of Jesus to the other people in this retirement home. It was a beautiful, beautiful picture. Of course, they were still enjoying a slower pace of life. They still had a wicked sense of humor. There was one moment where another resident came out into the courtyard and started doing his daily walk around. And both these guys got out their stopwatches and were timing him, which they did every day and keeping a little note of however. So they were still, in, they were still enjoying life, enjoying a slower pace of life but shaping their time, shaping their life around wanting to spread this message, this hope of eternal life to those around them. Now, you compare that 
to, I have an elderly neighbor. I've meant, I think I mentioned him before. I try and spend time with him. He's very lonely. He is approaching the end of his life as well. And he has relentlessly, um, in, in his retirement, focused on his own comfort. And it's really striking that when I go to speak to him and talk to him, all he wants to do is complain. And I, I, I try to encourage him to think about the things that he is enjoying or the bits of life that he is. And he always just comes back around to things he wants to complain about. We're not designed. We're not designed to focus in on ourselves. The richest life is one that is spent in service of others. And Paul here gives us this remarkable example of being, being active, being active to the end. So I, what it's interesting to ask, it's interesting to think, which retirement are you building towards? Which retirement are you dreaming of? Because we don't just arrive at one of those two destinations. Both those guys in the retirement home and my neighbor, they only get there through thousands and thousands of daily decisions. Decisions to turn inwards or decisions to shape my life around spreading this message to others. How do we shape our lives around that? Well, Paul gives us an example here. Paul's actively involved. He's investing in the Christian community. He's caring for others. And I know, I know as I say that to us, that I know that many of us here are already doing that. We're already trying to shape our lives around those things. And if that's you, I, I hope this is an encouragement. That is, I think Paul would say, that is fantastic. If you're shaping your life around this, that is fantastic. Keep going. Keep going. I think Paul would say that is, that is brilliant. Paul's, uh, Paul is active to the end. Third thing, uh, Paul's confidence here is in Jesus. This is where we're going to come back to verse 16 to 18. Have a look down with me. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. He's got this kind of hard-won confidence here, doesn't he? That you see kind of oozing through these verses. So picture verse 16, what he's talking about in verse 16, when he was at this trial. Um, and it was a pretty scary, intimidating situation, I think. He says there that he was completely abandoned. He was completely exposed. And he was on trial there for his life, being accused of all sorts of things. His life is hanging in the balance. But do you notice what he did? The end of verse 17, he didn't plead for his life. He used that moment on pub in public trial to tell those people that were thinking about killing him, <laughs> to tell them the message of eternal life, the hope of eternal life, to speak of Jesus in that moment. And how was he able to do that? Well, look at the beginning of verse 17. This is, this is key. Look at the beginning of verse 17. The Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. Jesus was present with him and Jesus empowered him. Now, you may know there's a sense in which Jesus is always present with believers by the Holy Spirit. But the phrase Paul uses here, he stood by my side, it seems like he had a, a particularly strong sense of the Lord Jesus with him and empowering him in that moment. And what's that about? Well, I think, I think experience does tell us that 
when we try and stand and speak for Jesus and we feel scared and exposed, that often in those moments there is a particularly strong sense of the Lord Jesus' presence and power with us. It seems particularly palpable often in those moments. And as Paul looks back on that, on those experiences of Jesus getting him through those moments, do you see how it fills him with confidence in verse 18? The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. Yeah, Jesus will get me through. Jesus is going to get me to the end. I know he's going to get me to the end because I can look back at all these experiences in my life where he's done that, where his power and presence were with me, enabling me to, to speak, to share this message with others. I just, I, I, I wonder, when we reach the end of our lives, will you and I have stories like that? Not being in court, sure. <laughs> but stories of speaking for Jesus and having a strong sense of his presence and power enabling um, us to do that. I mean, let's be realistic. I know that all of us are going to have many times, probably many more examples of times where we didn't speak, times where we, uh, we did back out. But wouldn't it be wonderful if among those, we also had stories of times that we did stand and we did know Jesus's power and presence with us. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have some stories like that to tell our kids and our grandkids as we approach the end of life? Don't you want that? I know that I do. <laughs> That's where Paul's kind of hard-won confidence that Jesus will get him to the end comes from. In conclusion then, in conclusion, do you just cast your eyes back over verses 6 to 8 one more time for me, if you will. Paul is, is able to end his life like this, confident and at peace, because he knows that he has done what God put him on this earth to do. And he's saying here to Timothy, Timothy, it's over to you now. It's your turn. Obviously, as we know, Timothy's turn is over. <laughs> And it's come down to you and me. It's our turn now. It's over to us. Will we pick up the torch um, and do what the Lord put us on this earth to do? To spread this message of eternal life, to be involved. However, whatever that looks like for you, in whatever way, whatever sphere, to be involved, spreading this message and this hope of eternal life to others. So to put it in a nutshell again, if like Paul, you want to be ready for death, be involved in the spread of the gospel now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that not because of anything we've done, but because of the Lord Jesus, we do have this crown of righteousness awaiting us. And I pray, Father, for all of us that you just help us again to lift our eyes to that, to fix our eyes and to build our ambitions on that. I pray that you would bring us to the point that you would shape us and change us to the point that like Paul, we're able to look back on our lives and say, yes, I spent that well because I did what you put me on this earth to do. I pray, Lord, that you would shape us in that way for your glory. Amen.